If you would, you can turn in your uh, pew Bibles or the scriptures you brought with you to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is what we're going to look at here this morning. We're going to try and work our way through the first uh, 13 or so verses uh, in this chapter. If you've been uh, tracking with us, let me set it up uh, like this. Uh, Hebrews is written to uh, a group of Christians who are not happy with life, basically. Uh, This is not what they signed up for um, when they uh, put their faith in Christ because they're experiencing some persecution, some pushback on their faith, and uh, they've hit some hard times, some spots of suffering and difficulty. And as we've talked about the, the book of Hebrews these past weeks and months, we said it's, it's different from maybe some of the epistles that, that Paul has written. Those were more like letters, but this reads more like a sermon. It's a sermon to them, and he's trying to, to counsel them, to exhort them uh, with what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And because we're in chapter 12, we can also kind of notice something uh, more about this community, that these recipients that are receiving this letter. We've picked up how they've lost focus. They've lost energy. Uh, there's a kind of stagnant, if you will, in their faith. And there's a number of spots where we kind of see this. For example, in Hebrews chapter 2, he says things like, you need to pay attention uh, to what you've heard because you're drifting away. Don't neglect your salvation. In other words, don't be spiritually lazy about what's going on. Or in Hebrews chapter 3, don't take an unbelieving heart because you may fall away from God. Instead, encourage one another every day. In other words, don't assume that all is well with yourself and with your neighbor. In Hebrews 5, he kind of gets in their faces and says, hey, y'all should be teachers by now. You've been far enough. You've had this Christian faith for long enough. You should be eating spiritual meat, so to speak, but instead you need milk. What he's saying to them is, you've got to move forward. You've got to keep pressing on. You've got to keep growing in your faith and being active. And I think all these things, this is the, where the Hebrews are, are coming from and, and what they need in their lives, sets us up for Hebrews chapter 12 and what he, the author here calls it the race that we're to be engaged in in running. So let's stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read to us the first 13 verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Let's stand together. Let's hear God's Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as Father addresses His Son. It says, My Son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastens everyone He accepts as His Son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters 
at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while, and they thought as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, how our, later on, however, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we need your love, and we need your truth. We ask simply that the meditations of our hearts and our minds would be pleasing to you and here in these moments. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Would you please be seated? You may have noticed that first word in verse 1 of this passage was, therefore. And any Bible teacher, any student of the Bible has been taught to say and ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Why is he saying that? Because it means that the author is pivoting. He's, he's made this kind of argument. He said these kind of things. Now he's going on to, to draw a conclusion or draw some application or, or to make this is the point of everything I've been trying to communicate to you. And so what's the therefore, therefore in chapter 12? Well, we have to look at chapter 11. If you've been tracking with us, that's the, the chapter of the roll call of faith is chapter 11, where the author has said, this is what faith is, and we've talked about it as this massive certainty about the things of God, the promises of God, the certainty about who he is. And then the author illustrates that faith, illustrates in the lives of these men and women who for years uh, walked with God. They went through various difficulties, experienced many blessings, and some were still waiting for the fulfillment of those promises. By faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, and the list goes on and on. And so still, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, it's like the author of Hebrews here in chapter 12 is saying, it's your turn. I've told you all these men and women of faith and how they've embraced God and His promises and how they faced difficulty. They faced uncertainty. Now it's your turn to walk by faith. Now it's your turn to be active and engaged and moving forward in your faith. And he does that, and he illustrates that with with the metaphor of a race. We're called to run in this race. And it's kind of the theme I want us to think about uh, this morning as we move through this passage. I want us to look at three things uh, specifically. First, how we need to see our life as a race, why that's important to see your life as a race. Uh, to look at why you should be running the race. Why should I be enduring? Why should I be obedient in this race? And then finally, how do we stay in the race? Okay, Why we need to see our life as a race, uh, why it's important, and how we stay in the race. So first, life as a race. Again, verse 1, uh, he says, run with perseverance the race marked out. You see him using this metaphor For you as believers, for us as believers in this room to think of our lives as a race, that God has has us on a course, that there are certain things He he wants us to face and participate in, challenges He wants us to move through, uh, blessings that He wants to give us, uh, things that He wants, fruit that He wants to bear in our lives. He's got this course marked out 
for us. But that Greek word for race means struggle. It means fight. It means to contest for something. And it helps us as you look, at, look further on in chapter 4, excuse me, in verse 4. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. He's saying this race is going to have struggle in it. It's going to feel like conflict. It's going to feel like wrestling, so to speak. But you've got to keep moving. That's what you can expect. This life is a race. It's something to be endured. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be difficulties along the way. And God has a plan in the midst of that. He set you on this course. He set you down this path. And there's a reason for that. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. But as you know, some of you are old enough to know that expectations are everything. If you have the right expectation, it, it, it makes things so much easier. And I think that's what the author is doing for us here. He's saying life is a race. And to keep running that race, to keep persevering, keep enduring, even though you're coming through difficulties and obstacles and and suffering and hardship. And he's saying you can expect that, which is so helpful for us. Because you think about when suffering comes into your life, difficulty comes into your life, uh, most of that energy that we find that we're spending in that suffering, it's it's over the confusion that we feel, The, the doubt that we experience. God, why is this happening? What is going on? Do I deserve this? I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Those kind of questions that we have. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you can expect that kind of stuff. I remember years ago, somebody in my family had, um, was having surgery. She was getting her gallbladder taken out. I think it was pretty big surgery. If, if you're having that surgery, it's definitely big-time surgery. And I remember sitting in the, in the waiting room. Y'all, many of you have had this experience. You're in the waiting room while your loved one's back in surgery, and the nurse or the doctor will come out and they'll talk to you. And they say, you know, your, your loved one is almost done with the surgery and we're going to bring him out in a moment and then you can go back. And then they'll say something, this is what you can expect to find when you see them. And they'll kind of, I think they kind of paint this kind of the, the most negative picture they can. You know, they're going to be really pale. They're going to be out of it. They're going to be groggy. There's going to be wires coming off of them. Um, it may take them a while to recognize who you are. And so you begin to think, oh my goodness, this is going to be crazy. And you go back into the room, you're going to have one or two responses. You're going to see your loved one and you're going to think, gosh, they don't look as bad as I thought they did. Um, you know, they've got some color and they, you know, they're starting to wake up. They're, they're doing really good. Or you begin to think, gosh, the nurse was right. She looks horrible and her just body, you know, no life at all. And think about what happened if you just, in the waiting room, and they just, you know, somebody called your name, and they said, you know, your loved one's in room one-on-one, you can go on back. And imagine you had no build-up, no expectation what you're going to find. You walk in that room, and you see your loved one there, the, the wires, the mask, everything going on. They can't talk to you. They don't know who they are. And you're beginning to think, I knew it. I knew this doctor was too young. We shouldn't have allowed, we shouldn't be at this hospital at all. This is horrible. And you'd be so frustrated by that. But when you understand this is what you can expect uh, to find here. And it's, this is, in a sense, what the author of Hebrews is doing here in chapter 12. It's, it's, he's like that nurse that comes into the waiting room and says, your life is a race. And in this race, you can expect difficulties. You can expect obstacles. Don't be surprised. Don't be hindered by those things. 
There's a plan behind that. They're going to be necessary in your life. But still, you may be thinking, okay, I like the idea of a race. I like the idea of a course. I like the idea of a destination. You know, I'm up for challenges. Uh, Not too much of a challenge. Uh, But why do I need to endure this? Why Why is it important for me as a believer to see that my life as a Christian is a race? And why is it important that I endure this? Well, that's the, the second point here. Why do we run with endurance? And the simple answer is, is, is this. God is, the reason we run with endurance is because God is treating you as his children. God is treating you as his child. Verse 5. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. When you hear that word discipline, you think punishment, and you're right. And do think punishment, but also think of the word discipline there as in training, as, as in the sense of do not regard lightly the training of the Lord. Now, certainly it's punishment. God's discipline is punishment in our lives. If, if you rob a bank and you're serving 30 years for prison, I mean, there's, you're going to suffer those consequences. That's just the way it is. But also think about God's discipline in your life as training. He's, he's training you in righteousness. And in other words, the, sometimes hardship, difficulty is necessary in our lives. It has an end in our lives. It has a plan in our lives that God sees it as necessary and he wants to use it in your life. If you're familiar with the, th- the, the hymn Amazing Grace, which I'm, I'm sure you are, uh, you know the author of that is John Newton, wrote that, wrote that hymn years ago. Uh, but he was a pastor, uh, and he, he was so much more than just the writer of that one hymn. And he wrote incredible letters. That's when they actually wrote letters, and they used real mail. And he would have great correspondence with individuals. And there's one quote that he uh, gives that he passes on that goes like this. He says, everything is necessary that he sends Nothing can be necessary that he withholds, meaning everything that comes into your life is necessary. It, 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 God, has, God has it there for a reason. And if that, is, if that thing that you want is not your life, then God sees it as not necessary. Now, I wouldn't suggest pulling out this quote when somebody's in the midst of a tragedy and somebody's really suffering. It's not appropriate to pull that out like that, there's other things, there's other ways you can counsel and, 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 and be with somebody and offer comfort. But it does help us to think God disciplines us. He brings training into our lives to help explain why it's there. Remember what he says in verse 10. He says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And then he goes on in verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. For God to discipline us means that you belong to Him, and you should be more concerned that He's not disciplining you than that He is. But it also means that God is concerned with your overall health. He cares about the type of person that you're becoming, the type of person that you're being shaped into. Some of you know the story of, of Joseph from the Old Testament. 
Joseph is the son of, of Jacob, and Jacob, as the, as the father, loves Joseph. He's got other sons, Jacob does, but he, has, he loves Joseph. Joseph has a special place in his life, and he really does treat him as a favorite. And his brothers notice this, and they see what's going on, and they see how he's the favorite. But God intercedes in the life of Joseph because there's that fear if he continues down this path, he's going to grow up to be prideful and self-centered and arrogant because of all this special attention that he's getting. And so God uses uh, the, the jealousy of his brothers to get Joseph sold into slavery. God uses the lust of Potiphar's wife to get him thrown into prison. And you get to and you read about what happens after that, how he's able to serve in the, the king's court and how he's been promoted to the seat of authority. And then he comes to this time in his life where he's able to confront his brothers that, that did this to him, that threw him down this, this track. And he's able to look at them and say this to them. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This is the fruit of God's training or God's discipline in our lives, that it was able to change a man like Joseph, where he doesn't have this great big grudge. He's not orchestrating how to uh, kill his brothers and get back and get even, but he realizes who God is. He realizes what God has done in his life. He's able to be filled with righteousness and graciousness and, and know this holiness I read verse 5 a moment ago, and in that verse, it's a proverb, and it's wisdom for us because it, it helps us to understand, you know, you've got to be remembering this discipline that God is bringing into your life, and don't sabotage it. Don't sabotage that discipline. And verse 5 gives two ways that you can sabotage that wisdom, wisdom, God's discipline in your life. The first one is that don't make light of His discipline. Don't make light of his discipline, which means basically when troubles come in your life, hardship, suffering comes in your life, you say something, in effect, you know what, I'm just going to endure this. It's going to pass. This is not going to be a problem. Um, I just have faith in faith, and I'm going to be optimistic, and things are going to happen and, and work out for me okay. This is taking the discipline of the Lord lightly. Say, for example, you've got, you've got a child, and you go to this child, and you say, little Johnny, did you lie? And little Johnny says, yes, I lied. And you say, okay, no Disney World for you. And little Johnny cries and he complains and he goes off into his room and you hear him talking about, I'm never going to lie again. I'm never going to do this again. And you as a parent think, well, good. Maybe he's been instructed by that. Maybe he's been trained by that. But there are children who will hear that conversation. Little Johnny, did you lie? Yes, I lied. Okay, no Disney trip for you. And that child will just walk away. And they'll say, okay, fine. That doesn't bother me at all. What are they doing? They're making light of discipline. They're saying, I'm not going to let you get to me. I'm not going to let you get close to me. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to keep you at a distance, and this is going to pass, and this is not going to be a big deal at all. They're making light of discipline. It's not training them. It's not correcting them. It's not shaping them. The other way that we can sabotage God's discipline in our lives is when we lose heart and give up. We move into suffering, move into difficulty, and we think, this is it. There's no way God can redeem this. There's no way God can do anything to help me out. I give up. And you pull away from God, 
pull away from the faith. You may go through the motions and say the right thing in the, in the right conversation, but you've, God has lost a place in your life. You're, you've, you've moved away from Him, and there's, you've just lost heart. That's why we need to endure. That's why we need to see our life as a race, and that's why it's important. The last thing is how do we stay in the race? Three brief things, and then we'll close in prayer. The first thing is we see one word that kind of comes up uh, over and over in this passage, and that's the word endure. If you want to stay in the race, then you've got to endure. In other words, you've got to be obedient. You've got to keep going. There has to be a steadfastness about you. There has to be this persevering. This has to be this attitude that says, I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to give in. There has to be this, this staying power. You've got to endure the discipline, endure the training, endure what God is doing in your life. You all know that you've been in these situations. Suffering comes, hardship comes, and what's the natural reaction? You pull away. You shrink back. Uh, you move away from the pain. And what it looks like for us as Christians is we, we move away. We, we stop praying. We stop going to church. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop all those things. We're, we're pulling back from God's discipline. We're not enduring it. And think about God's discipline, God's training in our lives uh, like this. Uh, let's say, in, think about it in a gym situation, okay? You, you hire a trainer, and you say to this trainer, I, this, these are my goals. I want to put on muscle, and I want to lose fat. Trainer says, good, you've come to the right person. You're going to be a different person. He brings you into the, the first day into the gym. He sits you down and says, okay, lift that barbell ten times. And you're like, okay, you lift it ten times. What happens? You get weaker and weaker and weaker. You're not getting stronger and stronger and stronger, but you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Your arms feel like rubber. You, know, you can't hold on to this. And what's the point? You can give up and say, I forget this. I, I don't want to do this. But if you endure, if you persevere, if you stick with it, what's going to happen? You're going to get stronger. You're going to feel more healthier. You're going to see the pounds fall off. You're going to see a, a change. You're going to feel all these different the kind of health effects that comes with it because you endured, because you persevered, because there was staying power, because you stayed in God's gym and so if you're feeling like suffering and hardship is, is weighing down on you, the best thing you can do is endure. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep going to church. Keep repenting of your sin. Keep moving in that direction because God is exercising new muscles. He's shaping you in, in new and different ways. And if you endure, you're going to know the fruit of that. You're going to know the change that comes into your life as a result of that. Remember what it says in verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at that time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We keep on believing. The second way we stay in the race is what it says in verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. This is a call to what? To self-examination. To think about your life. To think about, you know, there's some things that are just not healthy. They're sinful in my life, and I need to distance myself from those things. There's other things in my life that are not necessarily sinful, but it'd be good to get rid of this baggage and, and to, to change some things on my schedule, uh, to have some different priorities, uh, so to speak. Go back to the gym workout situation uh, again. You go into the gym. I've been trying to go 
semi-consistently. And never, when I go into the gym, do I see anybody, a man walk in there with a suit and dress shoes, okay? I never see a woman in there with a dress and high heels working the Stairmaster, okay? You never see that. Why? Because you, those are the type of clothes you wear when you're trying to hide, when you're trying to hide that, that to, to look good before other people. But when you go to the gym and you wear a t-shirt and shorts and you're confronted by all these mirrors that are around you, you can't hide anything. And you've got to self-examine what needs work on and what doesn't need working on. And that's the nature of, of suffering, a hardship difficulty. It says you've got to work on this area. This is a problem. You've got to get rid of this. You've got to pick up this. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You're forcing this time to evaluate and think through what's going on. How am I going to keep staying in this race? The last thing, and then we'll close in prayer. The last way we stay in the race is this. He says in verse 2, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. In other words, don't just look at Jesus in a general way. Don't just think about him in a general way. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I have a Bible at home. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But the author is saying here, no, think about him in a specific way. Think about him as the author and perfecter of your faith. That's how you think about him. That's how you realize him in your life. If you take this, this phrase there, pioneer and perfecter of your faith, you look at different translations of it, and different translations will give you a different uh, understanding or use different words to describe that. Because that word, for, especially for pioneer, it's so difficult to uh, translate. It becomes, it has, it's hard to find how it's used. And sometimes it's, it's pioneer, sometimes it's, it's author. You look at different translations. The best word I've, used, I've seen it translated is, is champion. To think of, fix your eyes on Jesus, the champion of your faith. And think of a champion like this, a champion in your life like this. Let's say you've got bad guys, and they, they get these hostages, and they've got them hostage in their place. But you've got a champion that intercedes for you. He comes and he fights the bad guys. He kills the bad guys, and because he won that victory, you as a hostage are free. You may be a 100-pound weakling that never liked to, liked to go to the gym at all, but because of that champion, you're free. You get that victory, not because you and yourself did that, but because of you and your relationship to that champion are now free. That's Jesus on the cross. That's Jesus on the, Jesus on the cross being your champion, living the life that you did not live Dying the death that you deserve. Jesus loving God with his whole heart, mind, and strength. Jesus loving his neighbor as himself. On that cross, he is our champion, serving as our substitute. Now, here's that why that's important for us to specifically see. When you're in suffering, when you're in your hardship, when things are very difficult and you feel like your back is against the wall, what are you going to start asking yourself? You're going to start asking yourself, do I deserve this? Am I being punished for something? Have I done something wrong? And if you look at Jesus in a general way, you're going to miss this. But if you look at Jesus in a specific way that the author of Hebrews is saying to you, fix your eyes on him, the author or champion of your faith, you're going to be able to respond to that question by saying, no, Jesus is not punishing me for my sin. Christ took the punishment for my sin. God doesn't require two debts for my sinfulness. And so he's disciplining me. He's training me. He's, he's going to do something in the midst for me in this situation. And you keep on trusting him. 
You keep on enduring. You keep on obeying. You may not have all the answers. You may not feel like you have all the strength at all. But when you fix your eyes on Christ, you know one thing, that he loves you, that he cares about you, he's thought about you, and he's trustworthy in the midst of your suffering. Let's pray to him and ask that he would help us endure. Father, this is not an easy subject to hear the words discipline, to hear the words training is not pleasant. It's not something we strive for. It's not something we, we circle on our calendars. But we do want to circle the fact that you love us, that you are our champion. You are the one that died in our place. And by that we know that you love us wholeheartedly. And we know that it was a joy for you to do that. It was a joy for for you to die for us because you wanted us. The God who had everything, the God that can create all things, counted it a joy to die for us. We pray that that would weigh on us and that you would give us the grace and strength to run this race that you have marked out for us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.